0: We're Mistio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, good morning, everybody. Morning, everybody. All right, thank you, thank you. We're alive, we're alive. Like Chris said we're going to dive into the first letter uh to the seven churches that are that we can read about in Revelation uh the first letters to the church in Ephesus. Uh before I dive into that before we read that together uh just a couple quick notes. Um this letter was written to an actual church that actually existed in an actual city in an actual point of time. Um, uh some theologians and some uh, scholars believe that that these letters, uh, um, the, the book of Revelation in general is just a book to give us the signs of the ends of the times, right? What Chris kind of joked about earlier. Um, and that these seven letters just kind of are like uh, seven periods of time, right? Um, so they kind of equate the church of Ephesus with uh, the early church. Right, and then the next seven churches of just seven different times uh, in church history, and that—that's all these R's, just symbolic. But this was a letter written to an actual church. Ephesus was one of the major hubs in Asia Minor at this time. Uh, it was a port city. A lot of traffic went in and through uh, the town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. It had a huge temple. Um, to a goddess who, uh, this is Family Worship Sunday, uh, to a goddess, a Greek goddess, um, I'll let you do the, the background history minus the kids. Um, it was thriving, it was diverse. A lot of people went in and through here. And this was a church that God had a heart for, wanted to speak directly to. And so this is the letter we have Uh, that God gave John to the letter of Ephesus. Will you stand with me and we'll read uh, these verses together. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. The letter to Ephesus. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I do have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, may we hear the warnings and the encouragement to this church, uh, to this letter to the church in Ephesus. May we hear these true words and take them to heart. May we live in the encouragement, heed the warnings. Father, for our context and our culture here in Phoenix, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. It was the winter of uh, 2003. I just told this story at our MC when I got to share my story. It was the winter of 2003. I was the resident director at a small university in Chicago. It was actually 15 miles about northwest of downtown Chicago, a small little Swedish covenant uh, university there. I was the resident director of one of the dorms, and about every Wednesday there was chapel. All the students had to go to chapel. They were required. But I always looked forward to chapel because uh, this Chicago's kind of a major hub city. And so it kind of drew a lot of uh, good quality, good deep theological speakers. The speakers that they had coming through their chapels were uh, world-renowned theologians, gifted speakers. So I, also, I often looked forward to chapel. It was something that I looked forward to. This particular Wednesday, uh, I got up and put on my six layers of clothes because it was freezing in Chicago and the wind chill, I think it had to been like negative 20 that day. It was dreary, like most mornings in Chicago are in the winter. And I headed out to chapel, I I had to walk across campus to their chapel building, old building, old brick building, beautiful stained glass windows, a beautiful building. Entered the building and I took off maybe about three of my layers because otherwise you'd get too sweaty and warm and then it would just be uncomfortable. And I made my, w- my way up to the balcony where I always sat, a little off to the right, had the best view, best sound. I took my seat. I got out my Bible and my notepad to take notes. Completely unaware of what this morning would mean for my life and my faith. I looked forward to this speaker, again, a gifted, world-renowned theologian. And that morning, he spoke on a theology and a doctrine that I had never heard about before. Completely foreign to me, brand new. Now, I had grown up in the church, been discipled in the church my whole life. Went to a four-year college, university, Christian university. Got my degree in Christian doctrine, Christian studies. So I had studied doctrines, all the doctrines, theologies. And that chapel that morning, I heard something I had never heard before. And he used the same Bible that I had in my lap. For me, this was devastating. Instead of this new doctrine, this new way of of looking at God or this new way of how God did things, instead of it deepening my faith, strengthening my faith, it destroyed it, destroyed it. I remember being angry and frustrated, sad. I, I, I took notes, stayed chapel. And afterwards, I made my way back to my dorm room. My beanie pulled a little lower, my hood over a little higher, so no one could see the tears that were running down my cheeks. I didn't want to make eye contact with any students. Couldn't even say any words. I made my way back to my dorm room, or it was an apartment in a dorm. I remember shutting my door and just flopping on my bed, weeping. I didn't know what to believe anymore. I was exhausted. I was tired. I'd spent my whole life trying to figure out who God was. Learn all these things about who God was, trying to do all the right things. And in one morning, learning something new, I was done. I remember telling that to God. I'm done. We've had a good run. I've tried to please you my whole life, but I'm done. I'll just do my own thing now. And I remember very clearly, very clearly, the Spirit of the Lord say to me, I love you. It wasn't words of like, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. These are the things that are true about me, don't leave. It was a very sympathetic, heartfelt, I'm with you, I love you. And at that moment, uh, different periods of my life kind of flashed before my eyes. And it was one of those things where it was, I know, God, you are real. I know you are real. In my heart, I know you are real. I know you are good. I know you love me. But I have no idea who you are and what you're about right now. So for the next three to six months, the only prayer I could pray to God when I went before him is, God, I know you love me and I love you. And then I would just sit. I didn't know what else to pray. Because you see, my whole life in my pursuit, in my pursuit of truth I had tried to know everything about God, who God was. I had tried to know his word. And I had tried to do all the things right. But I had missed who God was. I had missed the love of God. All in a pursuit of truth. In this letter to the Ephesians, in Revelation, the first part of it, God says, hey, you guys are doing well. You guys are thriving. You guys are flourishing in the first part that I had warned you about through my apostle John earlier. You guys are able to test the spirits of the age. You guys know truth. You guys know who God is, who his son was. And you're able to use that truth to kind of determine who is a good apostle with good teaching, with right teaching, and who are liars. You're able to discern, okay, this person who is teaching up here, the, the, the things that they are teaching, do they line up with the good news that we, that we know, the truth that we know, who God is, who his son was that he sent, what his son did and said. They were able to discern those things. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. He says to them, You guys have labored. You have endured. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be liars. I know you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. It wasn't easy. The easy thing would be to go along with what is popular. The easy thing would kind of go along with what culture says is to be accepted as truth. But no, you have stirred fir- you have stood firm in truth. You know the truth, and you have used that truth to distinguish and discern lies and truth. Interestingly. It- they are living out what John had written to them earlier. There's some debate on which John wrote Revelation, but after reading 1 John, I kind of tend to lean more towards Revelation John being the apostle. Because you see, 1 John, John the apostle, was in Ephesus when he wrote these epistle letters. He wrote these from Ephesus. He's living in this culture. He's living in this city. He sees the church. He knows the church. He sees the culture that they're living in. And he says this in the first part of of chapter four in 1 John, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. So that John, writing this at the beginning, to 30 years later, as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, as he gets this revelation from God, he says, you guys are doing well with this. That letter that I wrote to you a few decades earlier, to be weary, to be wary, not to be weary to be wary of the spirits and test them. Test them to see who they are confessing. Are they confessing the Son, of Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Or are they confessing something else? Are they confessing greed? Are they confessing live how you want? Are they confessing you can ha- have your own truth? Are they confessing you do you? Live how you want. You can figure out your own truth. Everyone has their own truth. Or are they confessing the son of God, Jesus Christ? So their love of God is evident. They love God so much, they are able to discern truth and lies. But there's a but. There's a big butt. Yes, I said big but. Because in the next verse of Revelation, chapter two, what is it, verse four? He says, but... I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, some of your translations, I want to take a, a little pause here. Some of your translations might read, you have abandoned your first love. And I've heard a few sermons on this letter to church, to the church at Ephesus before. And, and most of the, more often than not, That's the translation I've heard preached and used. You've abandoned your first love. And the points of those messages and those sermons have often been, the more you hold on to the law, the more legalistic you get, and the further away from love of God you get. And I don't don't think that's true. I think what that does is it, it promotes this this wrong theology that if you if you pursue truth it automatically necessitates that you walk away from love. That if you obey the law, then you'll fall into legalism and moralism and you will leave the love you had for God. It puts them in opposites, truth and love. And I don't think that's what's going on here. Something's funny back there with the junior hires. I remember those days. It was, it was the big butt comment, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the big butt. It was the big butt. Should have known with junior hires in service today, you can't say butt, poop, fart, any of that stuff. I I don't think that's going on here. I don't think John is saying, or the spirit of God is saying, if you pursue truth, if you pursue what is true about God, then you'll lose the love you had for God. I think what it's saying is, I think the best translation is you will uh, return to, what does it say? Oh, I'm in 1 John. You have abandoned the love you had at first. I think he's telling them, look, you had the love for one another at first, but now you guys, you guys know in the times that you live, in the culture that you live in, where there are so many false teachers saying, no, this is true. No, this is true. No, this is true. You guys know the truth. You guys are labor to discern the truth. But what you need to return to is the love for one another. Because now you're starting to get skeptical about everybody. Now you're seeing to see in everybody else's lives. No, 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 that's not true. You're starting to use truth to divide instead of the truth pointing you to love. Because he tells them in the next verse, Remember then how far you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did before. In 1 John 4, right after John gets done writing about the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception, he writes this, dear friends, let us love one another. Because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In verses in 4, 10 through 11, love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another in this way. And then in 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, as a dad, this kind of resonates with me. Because it'd be like one of my kids saying, dad, I love you and mom. I love you and mom. But I don't love my brother. I wish he was never part of our family. That would break my heart as a dad. It would make me think, "Do do you love me? Do you know that I have the love that I have for you? Do you know the love that I have for your brother? Because how can you say that? Right? First John said, if you say you love God and yet hate your brother or sister, do you? Do you know the love of God? Do you know the love that he has for your brother or sister, who were created in the same image? As a uh, So how are we supposed to live? How do we listen to this letter that was written to a church? Millennial ago, that lived in a powerful, affluent, diverse, imperialistic city who loved the empire. How do we listen to this letter and also be able to test the spirits of our own age to distinguish what is truth and what are lies? And then how do we live that out? How do we live that out with our brother and sister? In our church family? How do we live it out with our brother and sister who don't know Jesus? Our neighbor, our coworkers. What does this look like? I have some slides. I think it might be helpful for us to go through a few things. I went teacher mode on us today, and I did a little PowerPoint. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll check it out. First, I want to talk about truth. Where do we find truth? That's not fair. It's already up there. (laughs) Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this I am the way, the the truth, and the life. The blue letter Bible sums that verse up like this, translates it as this I am he in whom the truth is summed up and impersonated. Jesus is saying, All truth, God's truth, all of who God is. All of who God says he is, all of that he is, is summed up and impersonated in me. I am truth. In John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He said, Jesus says everything he hears from the Father. Everything the Father has is his, and he and the Father are one. All truth begins, ends, is summed up, is impersonated in the person of Jesus Christ. all of who God is, all of what he says, and how that translates into how we love one another is summed up in the person of Jesus. Another way we can know truth is through God's word. John seventeen seventeen. Jesus, as he's praying for his disciples, right before he's uh, arrested, he says, he says this, sanctify them by the truth. Make them holy, cleanse them by your truth. Your word is truth. The entire, uh, Psalm 119, 160 says this, the entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. This book God's word testifies to the truth of who Jesus is in God and will reveal to us truth. We also find truth through the Holy Spirit. Just the spirit of, he's called the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and testifies to Jesus being the Son of the Father. He guides us into all truth. Doesn't speak on his own, isn't a separate entity of God doing his own thing. Doesn't speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears from the Father. So the Spirit and the Father are one. They're on the same page glorifies Jesus, which is a mark of truth and is one with the Father and the Son. So where do we find truth best summed up in the person of Jesus? We read who the person of Jesus was in his life in God's word. And that truth is illuminated to us through the Holy Spirit. So how would we define truth? This is how, this is the definition I landed on. That truth is all of who God is and says, all of who God is, all of what he says, incarnated in the person of Jesus and made known to us by his word through the Holy Spirit. This is how we can divine truth. All of who God is and says, incarnated in the very person of Jesus, his son, and made known to us by his word through the Holy Spirit. Now through truth or because of truth, or when we are in truth, we are called to love one another. So what does love look like? Right, I think for many of us in our culture, we equate truth with intellectual assent. That's what I did. The more I knew about God, the more knowledgeable I was about God, the more truth I had. And I just relied on that knowledge. Right? But that truth, that knowledge of all of who God is and says, isn't meant for us to just puff up our ego and gain more knowledge. It should lead us to do something. So what is love? And oftentimes we equate love with this, this feeling. I love you. We are watching a show last night I don't know if I should say this out loud. We were watching a show last night, 1883. You guys see, have you guys seen 1883? It's a show on Paramount about Yellowstone traveling the Oregon Trail. There's this part in there, this girl, this young girl, she falls in love with a cowboy. I love you. I like their accents. And her dad... Your dad catches him kissing. Mm-hmm. Now, he, now this is a cowboy dad. This ain't, you know, like, do whatever you want, daughter, kind of dad. This is a cowboy dad. And, man, he rode up to this dude, and he knocked him right off his horse. The daughter steps in. I love him, Dad. Don't do it. I love him. And he turns around. And he's like, You don't know what love is. Sometimes we equate love with just those feelings, those butterflies, an infatuation, attraction, maybe. But if we're honest, our love for God. If it was just that is easily manipulated. If all love is is feelings, it's easily manipulated. So what is love? Jesus says if you love me in John 14:15 If you love me you will keep my commands. In John 14:21 The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 23 and 24 If anyone loves me he will keep my word. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. <coughs> Excuse me. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. 1 John 5, two through three, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. So love is just not this, uh, this feeling that we have for love for, God, uh, love for God. It's not this feeling that we have. It's active. It's an active loyalty to. It's an allegiance to. It's saying, I will do whatever I need to do to be in your presence. I want to be with you. For those of you that are married or have been married or have been in love, you know those beginning stages, you want to do whatever you can to be with that person. Right? Homework? Let's go get coffee. Any other responsibility you might have? Let's go talk. Let's go hang out. Let's go see a movie. Let's go get dinner. You'll do whatever you need to do to be with that person. You want to be in their presence. Dine with them. Commune with them. Any allegiances you might have had to family or friends get thrown out the window for this love. And your friends let you know it too. Right? Your best friends, you find a girl, you find a man, your best friends are like, mm-mm. I thought we were hanging out. Now, you, now we don't even talk. Now you spend all your time with them. It's an allegiance, an act of loyalty too. So love for God, keep his commands. What are his commands? Luckily, the Bible tells us. John 15, 12, this is my command. There it is. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, this is what I command you. Love one another. 1 John 3.23, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, truth, and love one another as he commanded us. 1 John 4.21, and we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, you'll notice this theme, kind of stated in John for a lot of this probably one of the more popular verses when it comes to God's command is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, this is what truth is. This is how we test the spirits of our age and we're good at it. This is the law of God. This is, what he's, this is what Jesus says to those keepers of the law. One of the experts asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. of who you are. should pledge allegiance to me. All of who you are should be loyal to me. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets, all truth can be found in these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Uh, in 1 John 3:16 3, 6, 3, through 19 This is how we have come to know love He laid down his life for us we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters If anyone has this world's goods and if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him How does God's love reside in him? If you have all of these things, all of these world's goods, and you see someone in need, and you're like, eh, they'll be okay. Eh, they'll figure it out. Eh, they're being lazy. They need to work harder. Eh, they don't deserve it. Is the love of God in you? He goes on to say, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how you will know that you belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. We so often think of truth as intellectual knowledge and put it in the word and speech category. Here, God puts truth in the love and action category. So how can we define love then? Love is actively displaying all of who God is, truth. It's an act of loyalty and allegiance to all of who God is. By obeying all of what he says, his commands. To love one another. To love God with all of who you are. And to love your neighbor as yourself. But this we cannot do on our own. We'll be exhausted. We'll be tired can only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when the power of the Holy Spirit reveals to us who God is and all of his truth. When the power of the Holy Spirit reveals to us, how do you live this out now? You have a brother or sister in need over here. Go meet that need. If you don't have the resources to meet that need, talk to someone who does. Figure out a way. It's often through those promptings of the Holy Spirit that things come up. This is the truth. Are you going to walk in it? Are you going to live it out? It's not in the speech and word category. It's in the action category. So as we enter into this season of Lent, As we prepare our hearts and our lives to remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. May this season remind us the truth of who God is and the love that he first displayed for us. We know the love of God because he initiated it. He gave us an example in the person of Jesus, of what that love looks like. How to love our brother and sister when they may not deserve it. How to step into the brokenness and the grief and the misery and the pain and the war and the division and love. So many times we seek truth because we want to be right. We want to, we want to feed our ego and our pride. We know more. Jesus says those things, truth is good. It is something you do need to pursue. But that truth should always lead you to love your brother or sister not separate from them. So my prayer for us, misheel, is that we would be an active expression, an active expression of all of who God is by how we love one another. By how we love one another. I want to end with this. It's this quote from N.T. Wright. I love this quote. It says this, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, Look at Jesus. And I would add, if you want to know what truth is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has him as the central character. So oftentimes it's easy to be a spectator than an active participant in this drama of life. Drama that we're not called to just sit in the audience of, but a drama we are actually invited into. We have a role, we have a part, we have a character in this story. True story. Our culture has so many other true stories for us that's calling us in to be a part of. This is truth. This is what you need to believe. And oftentimes, if we're honest, it's easier to go along with that than it is to test the spirits of our age with the truth of who God is, what he has done in sending his son, Jesus Christ, and praying for wisdom and discernment through the Holy Spirit. Heck, we can even find truth on a new app. There's a new app that you can just find truth in, I guess. It's called truth. Ironically, if you post something that they don't believe is true, you get kicked off. You're not going to find truth on an app. You're only going to find it in the very words of God. And that truth will not lead to division. That truth should not lead us to be against our brother and sister. It should not divide us. It should lead us to love our brothers and sisters. Let's pray.